But take your Bibles and turn to Luke chapter 6. We're going to read here in just a moment in verse number 43. Now, you don't remember this. This is exactly where we left off early in November uh, before uh, we took our hiatus. And so we're going to go back into Luke. (coughs) Scholars uh, call this one the Sermon on the Plain. If you're in Matthew 5 to 7, they call that Sermon on the Mount. I call it the same sermon, just to let you know. Uh, I'll explain a couple differences later on. But um, Luke chapter 6, this is the conclusion of a sermon. So if you'll stand with me, we'll read Scripture, Luke chapter 6, verse number 43. For no good tree bears bad fruit, nor again does a bad tree bear good fruit. For each tree is known by its fruit. For figs are not gathered from thorn bushes, nor are grapes picked from a bramble bush. The good person out of the good treasure of his heart produces good, and the evil person out of his evil treasure produces evil. For out of the abundance of the heart his mouth speaks. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I tell you? Everyone who comes to me and hears my words and does them I will show you what he is like. He is like a man building a house who dug deep and laid the foundation on the rock. And when the flood arose and the stream broke against that house and could not shake it because it had been well built. But the one who hears and does not do them is like a man who built a house in the ground without a foundation. When the stream broke against it, immediately it fell and the ruin of that house was great. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for this uh, sermon by Jesus and the eternal importance that is, is here. I pray that you will help us, Lord, to not think shallowly about this uh, truth, but rather that we will allow it to soak deep into our hearts and we'll do a, a, a deep uh, dig in, through the mirror of your word into our hearts. Your Holy Spirit showing us, Lord, uh, the true nature of our hearts. In his name we pray. Amen. Thank you so much. Um, Luke chapter 6, this is the conclusion of the Sermon on the Plain. And in, in, the, in the passage today, um, you need to understand that Jesus was preaching to a great multitude of people. They had paid careful attention to what he said about patience and persecution, about loving their enemies, about not being judgmental. But listening is not enough. What mattered most was not simply hearing what Jesus had to say, but doing what Jesus said to do. This is the test of Christian discipleship. Let me repeat this. The test of Christian discipleship is this. Do you do what Jesus tells you to do? Do we we live in the way that Jesus taught us? The truest profession of our faith is the practice of our faith. Now, Jesus began his conclusion by saying this. Look at what he said. For no good tree bears bad fruit, nor again does a bad tree bear good fruit. For each tree is known by its fruit. For figs are not gathered from thorn bushes, nor are grapes picked from a bramble bush. Now, This might surprise you. I don't have a degree in horticulture. 
But it does not take a degree in horticulture to understand that a tree can only produce the kind of fruit that it was created to produce. Good trees produce good fruit. Bad trees do not produce good fruit. On the contrary, fig trees produce figs, grapevines produce grapes, but thorn bushes produce thorns, bramble bushes produce thorns and brambles. And this is one of the basic law of nature. Every tree produces its own kind of fruit. That's not rocket science, is it? A fruit grower never gets the right kind of tree fruit from the wrong kind of tree. And the right kind of tree never produces the wrong kind of fruit. Now, why am I emphasizing this? The reason for the emphasis here is this. What Jesus is teaching is that every person is like a tree. How do I mean that? How is every person like a tree? Here it is. Please don't miss this. We all produce the kind of fruit that is in our hearts to grow. Now, this week and last week were weeks in particular where the Lord really was doing a work in my heart. And I love those weeks because of, of what God is doing. Every text does something, but some weeks the text has more impact than others. And this is one of those weeks. Now what Jesus said is that a good life will come from a good heart. Whereas an evil heart inevitably produces an evil life. There is a living or organic uh, connection between the people we are on the inside and the lives that we lead on the outside. Whatever fruit we produce, whether it's good or evil, is rooted in the true condition of our souls. We can only produce the kind of spiritual fruit that our natures produce. And the reason we say the things that we say and do the things that we do is that we are the people that we are. Flip Wilson was wrong. The devil doesn't make us do it. And so is our culture when it wants to blame everything. Everybody wants to blame somebody else for their actions. Jesus said these things so that we can examine our own hearts. In other words, avoid, this is what I want you to avoid. What I want you to avoid is the temptation to say, man, I hope that dude over there is listening. I really hope she's listening. What I really want you to do is to take the mirror of the Word of God and shine it into your own soul and look at your own heart today. Avoid the temptation, wives, to hit your husband and say, are you listening? Right? Siblings, no problems. Siblings always get along, so they're not even worried about that, right? All right. Kids, you get along with your brothers and sisters, right? They're afraid to answer <laughs> out loud. Oh, man. All right. So, look back up at verse number 42 with me. We didn't read 42. I want you to look there. This is what Jesus said. 
How can you say to your brother, Brother, let me take this speck that is in your eye, when you yourself do not see the log that is in your own eye? You hypocrite, first take the log out of your own eye, then you will be able to see clearly to take out the speck that is in your brother's eye. What Jesus is saying here is what he wants us to do is to look at ourselves first. Once you look at yourself first, you're going to be a lot less bold to look at other people. Would you agree with me? That's true, isn't it? All right. So that leads us to a question, and this is the logical question that we need to ask. What is the fruit of a good heart? What is the fruit of a good heart? This is one of the most important questions you can ask because it's the, it has eternity is in the balance here. When God makes our hearts good by the powerful inward work of the Holy Spirit, what kind of life does this produce? Well, here's what the Bible says. You ready? The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, self-control, faithfulness. That's what it says. Bearing good fruit, therefore, means loving others more than I love myself. Making sacrifices so someone else can advance. It means having joy in the midst of sorrow. Giving praise to God at the same time I grieve. It means being at peace about the things that tempt me to worry. Trusting the Lord with my anxieties about the future. These things are hard. I'm going to be honest with you. These are the things that the Lord has been working over in my heart. I don't know about future things. For my family, I'm talking about. And the Lord has worked a deep work in my heart about anxiety and about his provision and his love when times are hard. And I know I've talked to people, it's opened the door for me to talk to people, and you are facing a wave of bad news. Don't, and, and what I want to say is, when you feel that anxiety well up, that's actually what is in your heart. What do you do there? We're going to talk about that. But these things are important. The, 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 to have the fruit of the Spirit means that we trust the Lord with our anxieties about the future, about broken relationships in my life, about the safety of people that I love, giving my fears over to God in faith. It's the fruit of, li of a life of faith. Bearing good fruit also means that we have patience in the times of adversity, not pushing to make things go my way, but rather being content to wait and see what God will do. It means to show kindness and goodness, doing little things to make life better for others. A fruitful life is characterized by a consistent godliness so that I'm as good in private as I am in public. You know what the hardest thing for me to do is to live the sermons I preach. Parents, the hardest thing you do is to live the sermons you preach to your children as well, right? It's tough. Um, it means doing 
as hard to work now as I did in the beginning rather than slacking off. It's to be gentle, giving a soft reply to harsh criticism rather than jumping to defend myself. It means I have self-control to refuse to go off on reckless binges instead of and instead resist the mounting pressures of temptation. But here's the key. Are you ready? We are not perfect. Right? So there are still areas that we struggle. As a matter of fact, I would say that if we receive Jesus Christ by faith, we will begin to see some of that fruit, but it is very very slow in coming along. Would you agree with me? That's right. When our hearts are good, His goodness comes out. This goodness does, always, uh, does not come from us, though. The goodness comes by the grace of God through His Holy Spirit's work in our hearts. And this is part of the proof of our salvation. One of the ways that we know for sure that we know Jesus Christ is because we speak good words and we do good deeds. The good person out of the good treasure of his heart produces good. That's what Jesus said. Good fruit helps assure us that our sal- of our salvation because it shows us that we have the good root of grace. Now, we also have to ask the second question. What is the fruit of a bad heart? What is bad heart fruit? What's this bad fruit? The same spiritual principle applies. If good is as good does, then evil is as evil does, right? Okay? Evil people can only act and speak in accordance with their nature, which means that they say and do what is evil. And like all evil deeds that the Bible sets in contrast to the fruit of the Spirit, um, uh, sexual sin, dissension, discord, fits of rage, envy, drunkenness. If you want to see the full list, go to uh, Galatians 5, 19-21. A bad heart produces bad fruit. And when we see bad fruit, we know it can only come from a bad heart. And this is the opposite of what our culture teaches us. Our culture will teach us that there are individuals who can do bad more than they do good their whole lives, but deep down inside, we know that's a good person. That's not what Scripture teaches at all. It doesn't teach us that. Um, As a matter of fact, let me give you something. We should not assume that people are any better on the inside than they are on the outside. I'm going to give you this. Some of you are not going to like it. Usually... People are much worse on the inside than they are on the outside. Now, how do we know that? Just think about your insides, right? How many have said everything that came into their mind to people they wanted to say this week? Exactly. See, y'all are a bunch of bad people. (laughs) We understand that, don't we? I want you... uh, you should be reading good books. And part of the good books you should read are from old authors. Now, one author I'm going to give you, he's not old, old, but he's old enough that the language is different, but his words are gold. He's one of my favorite authors, J.C. Ryle. Let me give you some wisdom from J.C. Ryle. He said this, 
He said, let it be settled principle again in our religion that when a man's general conversation, and by that he means words and deeds, way of life, when man's general conversation is ungodly, his heart is graceless and unconverted. Let us not give way to the vulgar notion that although men are living wickedly, they have got good hearts at the bottom. Such notions are flatly contradictory to our Lord's teaching. In, is the general tone of a man's communication carnal, worldly, irreligious, godless, or profane? Then let us understand that this is a state of his heart. When a man's tongue is generally wrong, is absurd, no less than unscriptural to say that his heart is right. J.C. Ryle, excellent medicine. Excellent reading there. Now, let me throw a qualification in here. Does that mean that Christians never say or do anything wrong? <laughs> Why are you laughing? <laughs> of course not. Sanctification is not yet complete. But the difference is that whenever we see the fruit of our old evil nature, we recognize that it's evil and repent of our sin. That's, that's, that's the bulk of our Christian life. The Christian life is spent repenting of sin, isn't it? Sometimes I can't even get out of bed without having a bad thought. Now it's raining today, or whatever it is. But if the general tenor of a man's conversation is way of life is evil, then the source must be evil too. No excuse can break the connection between the tree's fruit in a tree's root. Now, it leaves us. Where does this leave us? You know where it leaves us? It leaves us with no excuses. And this is what I mean. Listen to what I'm, uh, the logic here. If it is true that the fruit of our outward actions grows from the root of our inward attitudes, then we never have an excuse for the wrong things that we say and do. We can never look at someone and say, I didn't sleep very well last night, or I was beginning to get sick, and that's why I said the things that I did. It doesn't work that way. As a matter of fact, we need to be honest with ourselves and with God. The truth is that what we say and what we do is always in character. I'm going to quote someone else. Paul Tripp has an excellent book called War of Words, and this is what he says. It is very tempting to blame others, or to blame the situation around us. But word problems reveal heart problems. The people and situations around us do not make us say what we say. They're only the occasion for our hearts to reveal them in their words. Kids, listen to me. Children, teenagers, you cannot blame your brother and sister for what you do. He made me do it. Doesn't work, does it? But let me give you a little secret, kid. It's true for your parents, too. Just to let you know. All right? So a little, little thing for the, the children there. Now, I'm going to give you another question. What, what should we say when we get caught doing or saying something evil? What is the righteous response when we do something rude or we have an angry outburst at home? This is a, this is a little bit tongue-in-cheek. But maybe the most honest thing you could do is say, 
sorry, I'm usually a little better at hiding the heart. Right? Wouldn't that be totally honest? To use a different analogy, the tongue is the sound system of our heart. Whatever is in our heart gets amplified through our tongue. Our angry words come from a murderous heart. Our salacious words come from an adulterous heart. Our complaining words come from an envious heart. Jesus said, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. And I'm going to say it again. This is the exact opposite of what our culture says, isn't it? I mean, our culture wants to blame our parents, wants, wants to blame their situation growing up, wants to blame our financial, dire financial straits, or the Republicans or the Democrats, whatever it is, we want to blame everybody else. But the Bible teaches it's from the, it's from the heart that our mouth speaks. Now, commonly... Far too often, people try to clean up their acts, don't they? They, they? they try to change their outward actions without having a new heart. They know that some of their actions or attitudes are sinful. Maybe they use bad language or they commit sexual sin they, or they get absorbed in anxiety or self-pity or they get involved in some form of addiction, chemical or otherwise, and eventually they realize that their, their lives are a complete mess. So what do they do? They decide to stop doing whatever they're doing, and they start modifying their behavior. You ever heard that term, modifying your behavior, or behavioral modification? Sometimes they meet with some success initially. But eventually, that old sin's going to pop back up. Most of the time, though, it reappears as a different sin, and it's just like whack-a-mole. The mole comes up, that sin, and you whack it back down and say, okay, I got that behavior under control, but a different form of that behavior pops up over here, and so we whack it down, say, I got that one under control, but a different one pops up over here. That's what happens when you try to change your behavior without having a change of heart. What is needed is what theologians call regeneration. Total heart transformation. And the reason for the failure is that no one can cultivate a, a good fruit from a bad tree. A life rooted in sin can only produce sin. Now people, people generally assume that someone's heart is good. And so in order to lead better lives, therefore all we have to do is do a little bit of spiritual pruning right? If we do a little bit of spiritual pruning, the, the roses are going to come back. The problem is that you got a whole mess of stinkweed in there. And what you really need to do is dig down at the roots and uproot the, the tree of our old nature and ask God to plant new life into our hearts. And anyone who has not yet come to Christ in faith, personally trusting for him, or him for forgiveness of sin, to give you a new life, um, and, um, and free from death, uh, eternal death, and he gives you a whole new heart, short of that, it's, nothing's going to work. 
Short of that, nothing's going to work. Now, that's, that's the tree analogy. Let's go to the second half of the sermon. I promise you it's not as long, okay? Foundations. What does Jesus have to say about foundations? Here's the problem. Talking about Christ, using Christian language, Christian ease, if you want to use that, that word, is not enough. And so Jesus goes on to say, and here's a key part of the, the message here, the conclusion, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I tell you? Now, people call themselves Christians, and they talk about Christ, but they have many of the same sinful attitudes and are guilty of, this, of, of many of the same sinful actions as everyone else. It's not talking about Christ that makes a person a Christian it's living for Christ by faith that makes him a Christian. Can I quote J.C. Ryle one more time? Last time. Obedience is the only sound evidence of saving faith, and the talk of the lips is worse than useless if it's not accompanied by the sanctification of life. And so there's got to be a life that backs up the words. And that's why Jesus said, look at the progression. There's three steps in the progression. He says... Everyone who comes to me, that's step one, right? You come to Jesus. Those people had come to Jesus. Number two, hears my words. The people he was preaching to heard his words. And then step number three, and does them. That's the key. Do you, have you come to Jesus? Have you heard his message of salvation and are you living a life of obedience to him? That's the key. When we do what Jesus said, not just hearing it, but actually obeying it, we lay a solid foundation that can withstand all the trials of life. This is the main point of this parable, by the way. It, if um, The main point of the parable is that um, somebody who is in Christ endures the trials of life. Now, I, got, I did it in the first sermon. i got to do it here. This is not in my notes. But I think this is important for you to see something. The Sermon on the Mount is Matthew 5 to 7. This Sermon on the Plain, Luke chapter number 6, the conclusions are very similar. But there's a difference in emphasis in what Matthew pointed out and what Luke pointed out about what Jesus said. It's important for you to see that. Matthew is talking about eternal destruction in his conclusion, building your house on the rock. Luke, the way Luke has put everything together in the last few paragraphs of the sermon, is showing us what life looks like when hard times come in this life. And there's a difference there. Verse 48 tells us a parable about the foundation of our spiritual lives. He says he is like a man building a house who dug deep and laid the foundation on the rock. And when the flood arose, the stream broke against that house and could not shake it because it had been well built. Now, what is Jesus describing here? He's describing in his parable somebody who dug deep a foundation of his life. And building this house cost him. It's like the three little pigs. 
Seriously, I know it's a funny story, but it's like the three little pigs. Living the Christian life costs us something too. It takes discipline and work at understanding scriptures, right? It takes patience and perseverance in prayer. It takes courage to put sinful desires to death. It takes dedication to grow in new areas of obedience. It takes sacrifice to serve others instead of ourselves. And above all, it takes faith to trust in Christ and not hold anything back. And as we do these things, they are accompanied by the power and work of the Holy Spirit. To withstand the storms of life, and some of you right now are in the midst of the storm, to withstand the storms of life, lay a solid foundation. Dear believer, anchor your life to the solid rock of Jesus Christ. Dig deep into obeying his word. Build a life that is strong enough to withstand every trial and tribulation. Jesus gave us one guarantee in this life. In this world, you will have trouble. Right? Dig deep. Now, sadly, not everyone has a solid spiritual foundation. And so to warn people about that, Jesus finished this parable by making a contrast. But the one who hears and does not do them is like a man who built a house on the ground without a foundation. When the stream broke against it, immediately it fell, and the ruin of that house was great. Now, Jesus did something interesting in his very first sermon, preaching to thousands of people, and he did something that most preachers don't do. You know what it was? Instead of closing with a word of consolation, he closed his sermon with a sharp warning, didn't he? Here's the situation that he described. Israel is a dry climate, very dry climate. Arturo's been over there. It's dry over there, isn't it? And um, in the wintertime, when the winter rains come in the mountains, you can be living in a dry area, and all of a sudden they're called wadis. The wadi will all of a sudden have a, just a huge torrent of water coming down, and it's dry. We have the same thing here in the American West, don't we? And I, I've, I've experienced it. Uh, Heather and I have talked about it, how we've been over in Israel in the wintertime. It's raining in the Judean hills, and we're scheduled the next morning to go to the Dead Sea where it's dry as a bone. And we get up that morning and find out we can't go there because uh, water rushed down the wadi and not only uh, either filled the road with debris, or wash part of the road out, and we can't get to where we wanted to go. That's, a, that's the situation that Jesus is describing here. When you build a house that's not on Jesus Christ, you run the risk of building your life, and you will. You'll build your life somewhere where when the, the storms come and the torrent rushes against you, it's just going to flatten everything you built your life upon. Like some houses, people don't have a solid foundation. Remember, remember, Jesus is speaking to people who were coming to hear him. They identified themselves as his disciples. But 
What is the difference between them and between the real and false disciples? The answer is doing. These people were not doing what Jesus said. Therefore, their lives are built on a shallow spirituality of some sort of maybe man-made religion. Maybe, uh, uh, well, actually, it's true, the church. Church-going people, they call themselves believers, but they're not living for Christ. They hear what Jesus says, but they do not do what Jesus says. As a result, they have no real foundation. Soon, Jesus said, they will be destroyed. When trouble comes, whether it's persecution, whether it's one of life's many bitter disappointments, trials, a wave of trial comes their way, their whole world will collapse, and oftentimes with it, any pretense of really trusting God to begin with. And if that doesn't happen in this life, it may happen, Jesus said in Matthew 7, um, at the final judgment. And Jesus called this, tra- this uh, tragedy a great ruin, the fatal torment of a lost soul. And so what is the test? I'm going I'm to wrap this up now. What is the test? Trouble is the test. When life is easy, it's difficult to determine what kind of foundation people have. And the same is true with houses. When somebody sells a house, what's the first thing they do? They paint their house, right? People drive by and say, man, that's a great house. They didn't check the foundation, right? It's, it's hard to tell if they have a f- solid foundation simply by looking on the exterior. But you wait until the storms come. Then everyone can see whether someone's house And I'm talking about someone's life is strong enough to stand. When trouble comes, a life without a solid foundation will fall apart. But a life anchored in the bedrock of obedience to Christ will keep on standing. And it's here it's worth noting that Jesus told his disciples where to build their lives. Look at what he says. He didn't say, build your life on a rock. He said, build your life. What, what part of speech is that, by the way? All right, some of, we have more kids here. The first service, I think everybody forgot their English. I heard kids say here, it's what? It's a definite article. Very good. Definite article. Build your life on the rock. And who is the rock? That's Jesus Christ. Um. For no one, the Bible says, can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. That's 1 Corinthians 3.11. So let me close. What kind of life are you building? Are you digging down deep into the solid rock of Jesus Christ? What kind of fruit are you yielding? Is it all talk? Are you walking in obedient faith? We can tell what kind of heart we have by the kind of fruit that we are growing. And we can tell what kind of life we have, we are building by seeing what happens when the storm comes. Do you have solid footing? Are you someone who has built your whole life on the rock-solid foundation of Jesus Christ? Build your life in obedience to the words of Christ, and you will be able to withstand anything 
including the storms of final judgment. Jesus and Paul both likened them to a fire. And you will come out of that fire of final judgment, gold. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for the words of Jesus. They're so simple when you first look at them, and yet the truths and the meaning run so deep. I pray, Lord, that those who um, are hearing today will do deep examination of their lives. Do they do what Christ calls them to do? Are their lives characterized by obedience to the Word of God? Do they see where Christ is sanctifying their, li- their lives and their hearts? Or is there a heart, Lord, that is self-deceived? I ask, as I've been asking this week, that in your mercy, knowing full well that there are people here today who profess Christ, who do not have Christ, I pray that today will be the day that you make their heart alive and call them to yourself. In Christ's name, amen.